Exodus 20.17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. And that's the commandment. It's a little bit longer than some of the one-liners that we've seen before, but it's still, I think, one sentence in the Hebrew. Uh, And it's making it very clear that we're not to covet. And we've seen other statements here that are really short. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And then it gets into this this last one. And, you know, on the... uh, Westminster Confession, it said what is forbidden in the Tenth Commandment, it says for, to forbid all discontentment with our own estate. To be discontent. Envying, grieving at the good of our neighbor and our own motions and affections to anything that is his. Then it states something that is what we have been doing all through the Ten Commandments. There are a lot of commands that say don't do this. But on the flip side, there's the positive, right? Well, in the uh, confession, it also does this too. It requires full contentment with our own condition, with a right and charitable frame of spirit toward our neighbor and all that is his. Matter of fact, to not covet is to go to your neighbor and say, that is really nice what you have. I'm glad you have that. Matter of fact, it's being thankful to the Lord that they have what they have. But the nature of mankind does the opposite. Oh, they got a new Lexus over there in their, in their driveway. Oh, I'd love to have that. I can't believe they got that. How did they afford that? Now, that's, that's the nature of man. But have you ever wanted something that really wasn't yours? Have you ever? I know you guys are going, no, not me. <laughs> no, you're all going, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're truthful. We're truthful here. We, we say yes. Well, stay tuned for these words here of the Lord are for us. We find ourselves at the last commandment of this. I, I say decalogue. What does decade mean? Ten. What does log mean in Greek? It means word. Ten Words. Ten words. The words of the Lord. And they're really short, but boy, I'll tell you what, we took a while to get through these Ten Commandments. Uh, a little over two and a half months, I do believe, is right? And here we are. Uh, and I'm sure that some of you, and most of us, are probably kind of relieved that we're at the end of it because we probably have been convicted. And if you haven't been convicted, you haven't been listening <laughs> because the Word of the Lord does hammer on us very much here because they're very challenging. And we know that we fall short on these Ten Commandments. We do. We cannot follow them in and of ourselves. There's much more that that meets the eye than just what it says here. Because if you look at the rest of even Exodus, and then throughout the rest of the Old Testament, and then when Jesus speaks, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, He clarifies what those mean. And rather than being the meanings of men. He says, I say to you, here's what it means. So anyway, another negative statement, but we get an implication here of the positive too. It's something that we're just not to do, but also there are things that we should be doing or we're still coveting. It's a heart attitude. This 10th commandment is a heart attitude. How's your attitude? And how is your heart? To go hand in hand. That is where it brings us to. Because all through the commandments, it's all a hard attitude. But this is the one that puts us in connection with all the rest of the commands. They're all linked together. You break one, you break them all. Have you seen that as we progress through this? How they are all related? If you covet something, how are you affecting, first of all, God? Well, you're putting things before Him. You are putting material things for Him. That's idolatry. You're taking the Lord's name in vain and that you're not honoring. You can go right on down. You, you can uh, have the heart of stealing. You can have the, uh, the heart of lying there. I mean, there's so many that just connect uh, together. And this coveting really made it clear to Paul that he wasn't 
righteous when he thought he had been all of his life and this one is the one that got him because it showed really where his heart was really at. He thought by doing the outward actions, he was okay. He was cool. That was it. He was the top of the line. If anybody did anything, it was Paul or Saul. But that was not the case when he saw and really, really saw what the inward man was. And this is the command that's more inward than any of them all. It forbids evil thoughts. Even when we've thought something evil, guess what we have just done? This is startling. Startling what the commands do. People will not even know when you covet. If you murder somebody, people are going to know. If you lie, it's eventually going to come out. People are going to know about that. Uh, If you steal, people are going to know that eventually, somehow, they'll know that you steal. You look at all of them. And you look at people who are not believers. We know that they don't honor God, right? The first table of the law. Or they don't honor their neighbor. But this one, you cannot see into the heart of anybody. So when somebody's coveting, people never know. But what? God does. God knows full well when our hearts are governed by our passions. What's your passion? I hope this morning that your passion is all about the Lord. Is your passion extremely about Him? Not just saying, hey, I showed up for church. It goes much more deeper than that. Do you have a passion for Jesus Christ? Is your heart all out for Him or not? That's what we want. Uh, Coveting shows our lack of contentment. We want something, we get it, we want something else. We get it, then we want something else. We get it, and then we want something else. Our natural heart, the natural flesh, just loves to just keep feeding itself on things that are not His and really doesn't need. And we're doubting that God will meet our needs a lot. We've already kind of looked at that when we talk about stealing. We're having gods before Him, and, and uh, this commandment is just so connected. So let's take a look at this final commandment and let's see how it relates to God, to our neighbor, how it relates to us. And hopefully this morning, God's Word, not me, but God's Word will refresh you. And that God's Word will bless you and make you more content with the life and all the things that go with it that it make you more content with that life. How does that sound? Is that going to work? Do you want that? Okay, let's get refreshed. Okay. We know what verse 17 says. We're just working out of one verse, but we're going to try to take some other verses to go along and and solidify this. Okay, what is covenant? First thing you'd want to do is say, okay, what is that? Yeah, covet, fine. Uh, I heard it in the commandments. Uh, I don't really know what it means. It means we are desiring something. And I'll go on with a little bit further of that definition as we develop this. But we should say desiring. Is it wrong to desire something? No, it's not. It can be a good thing. When we see the word desire in the Bible, it can be good or it can be bad. Most of the time it's bad. But it can be good. It depends on the context. It can be the same Hebrew word, the same Greek word. But you have to look at the context of what's been talking about. So, it can mean a good desire. Let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. We can find that book easy, can't we? Flipping back, boom, we're there. Okay, and out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow, that is, here's a good word, pleasant. He made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight. It's pleasing to look at. You guys like to look at pleasing things? Pleasing. Okay? That's what he did. He made it pleasing and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But anyway, he he says that it was pleasant. Or a Hebrew word can mean desirable. It was desirable to look at. Anything wrong with that? No. Matter of fact, the tree of life. Anything wrong with looking at that? No. But once you look past that on that particular one and do something that 
God said not to, that's when one gets into trouble. Uh, Psalm 73:25. We're looking at the good desire. Hey, do you do you desire to worship God? That's good, right? Verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? This is uh, uh, Asaph saying this to God. Whom have I in heaven but you, God? And there is none upon earth that I, what? Desire beside you. There's none on earth that I desire. I mean, to have a real, true desire for. If we desire God then we can have the right desire for things that we need if we place our desire for Him. Now, that reminds me of one of my favorite preachers, John Piper, DesiringGod.org, advertisement for that. You ever want to look that up, check it out. (laughs) If you've not been there, it's a great site. All the material there is free. You can download it. You can listen to it. You can read it, whatever. But that's his whole Ministry to desire God. I mean, He is like a fountain. We come to a fountain this morning. The fountain is the Word of God. We come here to get that refreshing water. You guys feel refreshed today? Do you? It's because you desire God. You desire His thing. It's a good thing. It's not a boring thing. And if it's a boring thing, check your heart. Because that's what it's about. It's to hunger and thirst for Him. So, the good desire, we've got that across. Now, what about the bad desire? Is there such a thing as a bad desire? Well, man being in his sinful nature is going to have a lot of sinful desires. So, uh, as you are in Psalm 73, you guys still there? Back way up into verse 2. And we're going to read through 2 through 5 and we're going to see a bad desire. What Asaph had in verse 25 was good. Now here's something bad. This is what he started off the psalm with. The same writer. Check this out. And it's just like us. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. That means he not fell into sin. For I was, look at this, envious of the boastful. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked... When I saw all those things that those evil people had, I was thinking, you know what? I deserve those better than they do. They shouldn't have that because look how bad they are. Why do they have all those things and I don't? Verse 4, For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They don't even have pain. Look, they're all healthy and everything's going just fine for them. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Everything's going great for them. I look at them, and here I am. I'm a believer, and I'm lacking some things. And they have everything. Everything seems to be going good for me. Or to them, and not for me. Wrong desire. Coveting. Look what he almost fell into. But what happened by the time he get to the end of the Psalms? Verse 25, he says, Whom have I heaven and you? And there's none upon earth that I desire besides you. He had the right attitude, didn't he? He had to check his heart and see where he was really at. Go to 1 Timothy, all the way back. Back, back, back in the New Testament. A little bit more than halfway through. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. And this whole chapter is basically dealing with uh, the ones who are greedy and uh, their instructions here to the rich and such. And by the way, is it sinful to have money? No. Is it sinful to be rich? No. But what's the problem? What's the problem with anybody? First Timothy 6, 9 says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, that's a trap, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Is that heavy? It says, if one desires to be rich, that's what they're after. That's what life is about to them. To get more money, more money, and more money. If you desire that, well, then you can fall into a trap. 
temptation and you fall into that, guess what? All of a sudden, foolish and harmful, hurtful lust happens and then it just drowns one into destruction and perdition, damnation. Wow. I think there is some wisdom to that. Don't desire to be rich for your whole aspect in life. Your whole drive in life is totally wrong. And that can be for the poor. It can be for the rich. The rich deserve, desire to be more rich. The poor desire to be rich. And when, if they do get rich, and some do, then they desire more. It's never ending. It's never enough. James chapter 4. Really good wisdom here. If you read Proverbs... Then you've got to like James, because in James we have a lot of practical proverbs and wisdom here. Verse 1 through 3, where do wars and fights come from among you? Where do they come from? Why are there fights? Why are there quarrels? Why are there people disagreeing? Do they not come from your, look at this, your desires for what? Pleasure. Is there anything wrong with pleasure? No. But if it's not the things that God has given you, there certainly is. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? It comes from here. It comes from the heart, not from God, these kind of desires. You lust and do not have. You murder, and look at this word right here. Right after murdering, what is it? And covet. You cannot obtain. You fight and you war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You don't go to the Lord and seek out the things that He wants to give you. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. John Piper has a book called The Pleasures of God. One of the best books I have ever read in my life. It just tweaked my whole thinking about God. He's not a cosmic killjoy that wants to take pleasure away from his own so they can just have a terrible time. He's a God of pleasure. He, first of all, takes pleasure in himself, in his Son. The whole triune God takes pleasure in, in themselves as their personal beings. But they're one, Right? Three persons, one being, I mean. God takes pleasure in Himself. Did you know He also takes pleasure in us? His creation, His recreation? And we are to take pleasure. John Piper says he's a Christian hedonist. And in that context, is that okay? Absolutely. That means we are to enjoy God. To enjoy life. Even despite some of the things that come along in life, we are still to rejoice always. Remember that song we sang earlier? There was a reason we sang that. Today is the day. And that means tomorrow. You continue to keep that thought in your mind. Today is the day to rejoice. Rejoice always, okay? So, we see here in James what uh, was being brought forth. Well, let's look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. 7 and 8. This is where Paul discovered that he had broken the law. You ask anybody on the street about the law and say, hey, uh, what right do you have to get into heaven? Or if you were to die tonight, you always heard that. What would happen to you? Well, I hope I would go to heaven. Well, why would you hope? That? Why why would you go to heaven? What what is in your hope? What do you have for that? What are they going to answer with? I've been pretty good. And who are they comparing themselves with? Somebody else that's lower than them. Doesn't matter. We've all broken the law, right? Saul, the great theologian, before he became Paul, thought he had the law down. He followed it to the T. He was a Pharisee. And if anything was righteous, anybody was righteous, it was him. And then one day, right around his conversion time, things started clicking in his head that he wasn't so good. This is one of the greatest men who ever lived. 
on the face of the earth. What does he say? Seven and eight. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Nothing sinful in the law. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. How do you know that you're a sinner? Those people out there, they say, yeah, I'm a sinner, but yet God will let me in because I'm basically good. For I would not have known covetousness. Uh, There we go. I wouldn't have known what coveting really meant, that tenth commandment, unless the Lord said, you shall not covet. That's right out of our text today, isn't it? That's what Paul is saying right here. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in, in me all manner of evil desire. Who is this? The one who's going to be known as Paul. For apart from the law, sin was dead. It wasn't anything to me. But whenever he says, I was alive once without the law, I thought I was alive, man. You know, I was doing great. I was really good. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. It hit me smack dab in the face, knocked me out. I died. I saw that I was not good enough to measure up to God's high standards and coveting is what did it. Because he saw what was in his heart. Who knows? Who knows what the coveting that he started thinking about? But that is what drilled him. Got him good. It says in verse 10, And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. And that's what the Ten Commandments do. They should knock one down. They should see that they are dead in their sins and they have no hope. And all they can do is cry out for the mercy and grace of God. The work He did on the cross covered it all. You can't ever satisfy God in your own work. And that's all throughout Scripture. We depend upon His grace. So, what is the idea of coveting? Well, basically, it really means something along these lines. To want something that belongs to another. You see something that they have... And now you want it. I'll tell you what. That's challenging because we all have been there. And it'll tend to crop up quite a bit because that's in our nature. And if you're a Christian, you have a new man in you, but you're still incarcerated in the flesh. And you can still have those temptations and those desires. It's a bad desire here in this context, isn't it? In our Tenth Commandment, desire or coveting is is bad. By our nature, we don't desire the things of God. Matter of fact, if we think about it, we cannot completely subdue the desires and sinful habits that come up. We cannot get rid of them totally, can we? It's the battle within. We have all the capacity to beat sin, but we still war with the flesh. And that's not to give reason to go ahead and sin. But we know that that's the battle. Now, jealousy and envy are a form of coveting. To have jealousy because somebody has something. This may include the neighbor's green grass over there. And you look at your grass and it's all brown. The molds have just destroyed your yard. Plants are not growing like they should. And uh, I don't know what happened. Boy, look at that over there. Man, I wished I had that over there. Well, there's, you know, yeah, you, is, it, is it wrong to have green grass? No. And is it wrong to have that desire? But now you, you start saying, well, you know, that guy over there, that makes him mad. You know, he works. That's all he ever does over there in that yard. He just spends all his time in that yard just to make it look good. I think he does it to make me look bad. <laughs> now we're into coveting. Clothes. You see somebody with a really new clothes on that's really cool. And you're almost thinking, man, I wish I had that. I wish they didn't. <laughs> because if they had it and you had it, then you wouldn't wear it, would you? Okay. <laughs> Who knows? Social status. Somebody's up higher than, than you are. Somebody makes more money than you are. All oh, those sinful habits. Athletic ability. See all those young guys out there on the football field and they're doing things and... Man, I wish I could do that. It's ridiculous. Fifty-seven years old. <laughs> they can go out there jumping around. And, 
Another form of that is discontent. Oh, now we're starting to get something that might start hitting us in, in the snout a little bit. Sometimes we become discontent with our lives. Not necessarily wanting things. We're kind of past that. Can you ever get past that? We're not content with the life that God has given us. I would never say to God, God, I'm not content with the life you've given me. But we're just not happy. You know, if I could have only had this job. If I could only have a little more money. If I could have a little better car. If you know, I just, I'm just falling a little short of where I really ought to be. And in this country, that is easy to do, isn't it? Oh, we're getting somewhere here. It's a desire for something that you're really maybe not supposed to have. Sometimes we really want something. And it might be that it comes from God. Okay, great. What if it's not from God? I don't want it. But sometimes we keep insisting. He says, okay, I'll give it to you. And then you get it, and then you you don't want it anymore. (laughs) Oh, okay, Lord, I get the message. Covening is anything that makes you discontent with what God has given you. The thought itself is a sin. Remember the heart issue? Wow. This is convicting. God has given us our life, even the situation, circumstances that we're in right now. Are you content with it, knowing that God is going to work all things together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose? Do you guys believe that? you believe it? What if you're going through some of the worst times in your lives? Lights? Lights? I didn't major in English. I heard a football player say that yesterday. I'm going, you can't say that. Okay, Genesis 3.6. I believed it. <laughs> he definitely didn't believe it. A college student couldn't speak English. Okay, Genesis 3.6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food... You guys know this context, right? She's being tempted by Satan, the snake. She saw that the tree was good for food. That's the wrong tree. That it was... Pleasant to the eyes. Oh, it looks so good. And a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. After Satan has said, For God knows in a day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You shall be as a little God. Find the God within. Oprah gospel right there. She does not preach Jesus Christ. I just want to tell you that. I don't know if you guys know that. I'm sure you probably do. But uh, look at some of her statements. I'm not saying you can't watch her. If you watch her, just watch out. Be careful because it's a different gospel. Now, she might include Jesus in it, but not the Jesus of the Bible. Not whatsoever. She is spouting a New Age religion. Anyway. To see something that somebody else owns and wish it was yours. You didn't have the thought before. And rather than saying, oh, that really is really nice on you. That is really good. I like that. That looks great. We may not give that, or we might give it in false pretenses and say, oh, I wish I would have bought that. There's a difference between appreciating what your neighbor has. We should be that way. There's a difference between that and then wanting what your neighbor has that may not be for you. The natural man doesn't like the fact that somebody has something and we don't have that something. Because they have it, I want it. You remember little kids? Remember uh, like in grade school, kindergarten, you know, or even preschool, you know, and some kid is playing with something, invariably another kid is going over there and snatch that away. Maybe a little brother, a little sister. There's the nature of man right there. They're showing what grown-ups do. Although we see how bad it is. They take that from them and then the other kid gets all mad. Eh, 
and they start fighting. You've seen it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Well, how about the parent who takes his kid to Central Dairy, wherever you like ice cream, was it Cold Stone, whatever your favorite is. <laughs> I'm getting you into desiring something, something you shouldn't have right now. <laughs> Trick. But you take them there, get them an ice cream cone. They're all excited and everything. Oh, man, they say, thanks, Daddy. And all of a sudden, they see the kid over there that just got a cone. This thing is stacked triple high, has the works on it, the nuts. I mean, everything. And this cone costs $8.50, and theirs only costs five fifty. <laughs> Central Dairy's cheaper. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, that kid stops licking the cone, looks over there, and says... I don't want this cone. I want that. Ooh, that's a terrible display. Do kids do that? Ooh. Probably experienced it somewhere along. You've seen kids do that. Maybe your own kids have done it. Or better yet, maybe we did it when we were kids. Anyway, whatever I have is not good enough because he has something better. He wants what that other kid has. There's a restless greed that goes on. If you see somebody's Lexus and you wish it was yours instead, you've just coveted. Maybe you saw new furniture in a brand new house that somebody invited you over to and now you wish you had that. I wish I had the house. I wish I had the furniture. I wish I had everything. <laughs> That's what I want. That's what I'm going to shoot. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get that. Why do they have that? Let's look up at a biblical example. You guys ready for a story? Everybody likes a story. Dennis, you don't tell enough stories to keep us entertained. You guys don't say that. I know you don't say that. Because if you did, you probably wouldn't be here. People like storytelling. Actually, the whole Bible really is a story. His story, isn't it? But in 1 Kings, let's look at a biblical story that I don't have to make up and exaggerate or anything. Let's just take a biblical example here and read this. I think this is just something else. This is involving people, leaders of a nation. You get the story of murder. You get the story of coveting. You get the story of bearing false witness. All in one story. My, this sounds like a movie that's R-rated. Well, it is because Jezebel's in this. And Ahab. You know those guys? Okay, let's, uh, let's read the story. It came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel next to the place of Ahab, king of Samaria. Samaria, the northern tribes who worshipped uh, idols and different gods. But Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Hey, uh, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it's near next uh, to my house and uh, for it I'll give you a vineyard better than it. Okay, I'll give you a, a vineyard that's even better. Or if it seems good to you, I'll, I'll give you its worth and money. I'll pay you for this. What's Naboth say? Uh, the Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. I'm not going to give this to you. My fathers gave this to me. This means even more to me than it does to you. So Ahab went into his house Oh man, he's just sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth and that Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed. Oh man, he's feeling sorry for himself. Lays down on the bed, turns away his face and would eat no food because he couldn't get the garden. Guy spoiled to death. But Jezebel, man, she's going to come to the rescue. Jezebel, his wife. Have you known anybody by the name of Jezebel? Today, is there any Jezebel since this Jezebel? Everybody knows about Jezebel, right? Well, this is one of her evil acts. Came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? Well, he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, you wimp. <laughs> he said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I'll give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, you now exercise authority over Israel, over the whole land. Arise, eat food, let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. I'll get it to you. Cheer up. i got a plan. Check this out. 
She wrote letters in Ahab's name. Ahab sealed them with his seal, sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. She wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth with high honor among the people and seat two men scoundrels before him to bear witness against him. That's our ninth commandment. Saying, You have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that he may die. So the men of the city, the elders and nobles who were inhabitants of the city, did as Jezebel had sent to them, as it was written in the letters which she had sent to them. They proclaimed the fast and seated Naboth with high honor among the people. And two men, scoundrels, came in and sat before him. And the scoundrels, don't you like that word? Witness against him, against Naboth, in the presence of the people saying, Naboth has both blasphemed God and the king. And they took him outside the city, stoned him with stones, so that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. It kind of repeats it in the next few verses. She had Naboth killed, who was perfectly innocent in this. All he did was own land, and he wouldn't sell it. And uh, the king is upset. But the queen says, don't worry, I'll take care of it. We'll get you what you want. So she has him murdered. She lied in that. There was coveting involved. How did they view God? They didn't view the right God at all. There was idolatry involved in there, having other gods before Matter of fact, it was blasphemy. Whenever they said, whenever they lied, it says he blasphemes God. And so there's taking God's name in vain. I mean, this just goes on and on. You see what was connected with this sin that that was going on here? So, uh, a restless greed there. You know, it, it resents success that somebody else has. It causes bitterness. It makes one even belittle another person when we covet. When I used to play basketball in school... I can remember my 8th grade and ninth grade and I lived in Eldon, actually. And basketball to me was just, was my idol. I mean, it was tops. That's, that was my life. That's what I lived for. And so, you know, I made the team and, and I was uh, starting on that team and, and I just thought I was just fantastic. And then for some reason, I uh, get in the game I, and next thing I know, another guy's coming in for me. And he plays, and I get to play very little the rest of the game. Well, uh, in practice, all of a sudden, it seems like the coach is working out with that other guy, and he's paying more attention to him than me. And I start to get a little bit upset. It made me upset in the stomach, you know. What do I do? i, I got to get back to that first string. That was my drive. And I'd get back, and finally I'd get my position back, and then I'd lose it again. Or I just didn't get the playing time that I thought I, I wanted, which was to play every minute of every game. And it didn't happen. I get upset about that because somebody took my position and I wanted that position because it's my position and nobody should have it. And then when they would score a lot of points, I would be rooting in my own heart, man, I wished he would get hurt. You know, I wish the coach would take him out. I wish he'd quit scoring points. I wish he would look bad. I wish he would have a whole bunch of turnovers. <laughs> what was I doing? I was coveting really bad. That's how simple this is. I resented his success. That the team would have success because he was helping out. The joker there doesn't belong there, though. <laughs> I ought to be there. You know, and I get set right again, and now I start thinking, oh, man, he's absolutely no good. I need to be there. Covenant. I resent his car. I resent his income. I resent the addition to his house over there. We want those things, but we don't want them for the neighbor. Uh, another one uh, was, uh, we're, we're still defining this word. Hankering. Hankering after the wrong things. We want stuff sometimes that God hasn't blessed and He'll never bless for us to have. It's a matter of greed. God, in fact, knows what is good for us. And He knows what's bad for us. 
But yet this command is so easy to break because it's still an inward thing. We haven't stolen. We haven't lied. We haven't done those outward things. Listen, this is not a cheap sin. It's an exceedingly sinful sin. Are we getting that? And we all do this. Because it's an inner attitude. The problem is in us. Look in Matthew 19. But I want to have the kind of life they have. <laughs> Matthew 19, 21. Rich young ruler, rich young ruler says, uh, you know, God or, or, or Christ says, hey, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. Young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what, shall I, what uh, do I still lack? He said, I follow all the Ten Commandments. Well, Jesus, what does he reply back? No, you didn't. No, you know what he says? He puts him into the position where he really needs to see where he's really at. Okay, he says, okay, if you follow the Ten Commandments, if you're perfect then, uh, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. He says, that's a mark of a Christian if you, if you do those things. How does a rich young ruler reply back? Okay, I'll do that. If that's what it takes. No. When the young man heard that say, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. He couldn't do it. He would not do it. Because he had things. He didn't want to lose those things. And he gave up heaven, at least in this instance, we see here, for his things. Jesus was even sad over there. That's incredible. There it is. Jesus standing right there. He says, no, I can't do it. And he was sad about it. He couldn't do it. He had the kingdom right there at the door. When you presented the gospel with somebody, you never know when they might truly take that in. So you keep praying for them. You never give up on anybody. Jesus knows the heart of man. We don't. But whenever they say, no, I'll tell you what, I, I like my lifestyle the way I have it now, and uh, no thanks. I don't want to hear anything about this Jesus. I don't want to hear anything about your God. Okay, fine. But here is the result. If you don't, they need to know the bad news. If they don't want to follow that, they don't like those whole, whole idea of the Ten Commandments and how it shows sin, uh, they want to move on. Okay, but that's sad. That's the worst thing anybody can do. But maybe eventually they will be attuned to that. And just like Paul, whenever he discovered coveting, that they really offended God. Okay, uh, the, it's dominated by greed, we see. And it's designed to make us hopeless. It convicts us in a very thorough way. Coveting does. You know what? We, every one of us, are assaulted every day by television shows. I'm not saying turn your TV on. By commercials that come into our homes without us even wanting them there and they just come right on in and they assault us with things that say, this will make your life happy. It can be one thing after another, you know. Anything, and you know, it can be hamburgers, uh, bread, milk, things that you know that are that are okay. But what they do with it, they put on a, a different twist to it and make it something else. Even the billboards seem to leap out at us. Anything that we have that um, is going to advertise. Watch out, because they're wanting your eyes to be taken by it and then to be taken down by it and be destroyed. Now, Martin Luther said that this command is not addressed to those the world considered wicked rogues, thieves, but it's to the upright, to the people who want to be committed to honesty. 
that are committed to virtue because they have not offended against previous commands. The seductive power of coveting affects those who otherwise look morally upright. Those who go to church. Those who preach and teach the Word of God. That means coveting is after all of us. That's our nature. Okay, now we go to the deceitfulness of riches. Go to Matthew thirteen twenty-two. The deceitfulness of riches. What do they do? This is the parable of the sower. And just to save time, I'm going to jump into verse 22. Now, he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. Okay, they hear the word of God. They hear it. They even like it. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Did you catch that phrase? The deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Means he never trusted the word. He never is a believer. He never had any fruit. He was unfruitful. He was deceived by the riches. He chose riches, just like the rich young ruler chose riches. Coveting. Coveting. The big lie we, we saw, we read in Romans 7. Paul thought everything was just fine. And then he saw what the law did to him. How many times. Do you go to a convenience store to get gasoline? And there are people in line ahead of you. I'm not going to convict you here. But this is just something that irks me so much. And the people have already paid for their gas, but they buy these lottery tickets. They buy one, scratch them there. They didn't win, so they get another one. They scratch it. They don't win. They get another. And you're standing in line. This is not a test of patience. I'm just saying. No, maybe it is. You know what they're thinking? They're thinking. It's it's sad. It's sad what they are. They're thinking, perhaps this is the day I hit the jackpot. I think every time they go into that convenience store, they have to buy a lottery ticket. At least one, if not more. You guys ever thought that? It's like, what is it? Everybody gets one. I'm the only one around here that doesn't get one. You ever notice that? These people want to get rich quick. They want to get money now. They go up to Boonville to get money quick. Maybe this will be the day. They spend $10, $50. Maybe they go back next time. They throw out 100 bucks and they don't win anything. Yeah, but I know I can get it. I know that my odds are going to be with me. Maybe a thousand bucks. Maybe it goes into the thousands. Tens of thousands, I understand. They just are deceived to think that they have a good chance of winning. thing is, the state and those gambling boats, they have it manipulated where they are not going to lose money. And they might tempt somebody by having a winning, but I guarantee you, they have it designed so you will be deceived and lose money. The truth be made known is that they gamble their money away. And you lose family. You can lose your your home. You can lose just everything. Um, They'll do this every time. Coveting knows no self-control. Only only Christ can stop that because they are consumed. They are obsessed with greed. Man always needs more. You can't have enough. Riches are a trap. It destroys a person. Now, I'm not saying riches are wrong. The love of money is the root of all evil, right? Desiring that. You want to know something? You know what the statistics say about people who buy lottery tickets and win? It shows how the deceitful and riches happen. They don't make people happy. 75%, this comes out from, I think, the state or, 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 the, or the national statistics, 75% of the winners of a big lottery 
go broke within five years. We're talking about people who have won a million bucks or more. Within five years, they are unhappy people all throughout that time period. They're trying to figure out how to get people off their backs. <laughs> you know, give me money. You got all that money, you know, let's let's go you know, they, they spend it out frivolously and they don't really enjoy it. They quit their jobs. Just terrible things happen. A lot of times families split up. Most say that they wish they hadn't ever won the money. They don't want to do with it. So the thing is, if we get a lot of money, are we going to use it right? Most of the time, most of the people are not going to use it right. Is it anything wrong with people having a lot of money? I'm thankful for the Lord. There are rich Christians. We need some of them to have a lot of money so they can contribute to a lot of the ministries that are out there. The ministries that we like. People are paying for. I'm thankful for that. And it's because they have extra money. To do it. And some people don't have extra money, but they give anyway. But they're saying, you know, you know what is the problem today? Easy credit in our nation. You want something? Hey, you're in America. You can get it. You got that piece of plastic. You put it out there and you get something you really don't need. And you get it because you can do that. It's called leapfrogging. You can't afford it, but you can get it because you got this plastic that will get you in debt. High salaries are another thing here in America that have driven our nation to be what it is. You can say, Dennis, how can you say that? I wish I had a higher salary. You guys wish you had a higher salary? Well, you need it because you have to pay the taxes. <laughs> you have to pay for the cost of living now. You need to make more money. But, but you, can, you see the trap here? People, when they have a lot of money, they tend to be self-sufficient. When you have your own means and everything's going fine, you don't need God now. But when you run out of money, when you run out of things, now all of a sudden it's like people need God again. Isn't that interesting? Today, I think here in America, we, we, uh, we just get what we want because we can't wait. We're not going to save up for it. That's coveting. Consumerism. Materialism. This is what Al Mohler said in his uh, book on the Ten Commandments. Consumerism and materialism are as much a threat to our churches as any other heresy we might envision. Wow. That's pretty steep, Al. You know something? I think he's right. This is a sin we all have to deal with. Well, what are the effects of coveting? Okay, now, we did point number one. Remember I said said this every week. We spend almost the whole message on that and the last points we have to spend in five minutes. Okay, ready? I'm on my last page. (laughs) The effects. Did we define coveting enough? What's the effects? Well, we have to see that it's a deadly enemy. Could we say that? Yeah. Sins come to us as promises, but what are they really? They're deadly. They're deadly to us. They're false. John Chrysostom, early church father, said, even more dangerous than sins of the flesh, listen to this, is the sin of covetousness. Relationships are destroyed by coveting. In a Disagreements are started in a family because of coveting. How about the commandment of loving neighbors? And we see that all commands are linked to the Tenth Commandment. We should tell that neighbor, oh, if they show you something, encourage them. Say, that is really nice. God has richly blessed you. And be, be thankful that because of that. Instead of saying, I can't believe you got that. I hope we don't do that. Selfishness is another effect of coveting. Material possessions, consumerism. Um, Matthew six nineteen twenty. Uh, don't have to turn there. But where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's saying whatever you treasure, whatever is the biggest thing to you, is where your heart is. Oh man, does that speak volumes? If you're focusing on something that does not include God, and that is your driving element in life, whatever that is, did you know that's what that is? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. 
just judge it off of that. The world is here just for a while. It's not going to be here very long. And we, we should wean ourselves from it. Love not the world, First John says. A man's life does not consist in his possessions. That's how people judge you in this world today. When they look at you, it's what you own. It's where you have been educated. All those things. And that is not correct. God looks at us and He looks at our heart. Many think power and influence are tied to possessions. It's not true. Someone asked Nelson Rockefeller how much money it would take to make one happy. You know what he said? Oh, I'm happy. I've got all I want now. No, he said a little bit more. Nelson Rockefeller? To make him happy, he needed just a little more. What happens when you get that? You need a little bit more. We're talking millionaires who have said this. Heroin addicts, they never have enough. It's the same for materials. The materialist shoots up all the time. He's shooting up because he needs something else. He needs some other thing to make him more happy. Then the next thing, that wears out and then he needs another one. Or how about people who just work and work and work and work, never take time off, never take a vacation, should take vacations, take a rest, take a break, it's good, it'll do you great. But the people who just work and work and work and work and work because they want to retire one of these days and then they will go out and make those trips to Europe and go all over. Hey, we'll have the money because I'll have it all saved and our annuities and, and uh, all of the investments and everything will be there and we can do everything we want and we'll have to worry about it anymore and we can live down in Arizona when it gets cold. And What about those people? Much of the time, those ones who have worked 40 plus 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week because they're going to get their retirement, because they've invested, you know what? They die before they get retired. And they get retired and they don't know what to do. They get bored. And they come into the store and talk, talk, talk. (laughs) Zach knows what I'm talking about. A virtue, uh, or a, no, it's not virtue. Uh, we're on the negative things here. What else? It's a virus within. John Calvin said, For if by law covetousness is not dragged from its lair, it destroys wretched men so secretly that they don't even feel its fatal stab. They don't even know it. They don't feel it. They've grown so cold and so calloused. It robs us of contentment in God's will. It robs us of peace. And what's the positive side? We've got to close it up right here. Westminster Confession said, full contentment and right spirit toward our neighbor. Whatever they have, position, money, house, whatever it is, thank the Lord they have that. That's great, Lord, that You would bless them with that. What about me? Whatever my life is at right now, thank You, Lord, for putting me in this situation, this nation I live, this town that I live, this house that I live in, the family You've given me, uh, even despite all whatever it is that I have to go through. Despite I have to go to work tomorrow. (laughs) Whatever. Be thankful that God has given you that because He can turn that thing into something that's good. Desiring God is a positive side of this commandment. Desire Him. Contentment in all circumstances. We're to enjoy all the things that He's given. Even the limitations that we have. Be thankful for those because He knows that the limitation that you have is where you need to be right now. Thank God for Him, to, to Him for that. Enjoy what He's given. Your marriage partner, enjoy the marriage partner. Thank God for that marriage partner. What if you don't have a marriage partner? Well, thank God that God has put you in the situation where you are now. At the same time, you can say, Lord, whatever you want. However you want it, I'm, I'm willing. Whatever you want. Some of you might have had marriage partners that, that have died. Well, thank the, time, thank the Lord for the time that, that you had with them. And, um, and it's just, Lord, you, I, I think of Penny. And Carl, who, oh, I can think of so many things that, you know, boy, it would have been great to have him 
the last few years in our fellowship. He was just growing in leaps and bounds. Man, he really he was there at a time that I needed him. And he was definitely at a time that Penny needed him. And Penny's been a really good example. I don't know how you, you, you feel about it, but the way that you always bring it off, that time that God gave you with Carl was so special and so precious. And you were able to see how God works through a person and through men that you never saw before. And, you know, you can say, well, why, God? What was that all about? And you look back at it and you say, well, I see some things right there, how that works. Even something so bad, God took him, but at the same time, look at as how the blessings have come out of it anyway. We don't know all the things that can come out of something that looks bad. This is all by God's grace. Nobody can live up to the Ten Commandments. We're closing out the Ten Commandments, right? It's too demanding. We can't do it, but Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. We broke it. He fulfilled it. We are not condemned. Do you guys understand that? Despite all the conviction that we should have had in all these Ten Commandments, His grace covers it all. And you can walk out of here full from the fountain of grace through His Word. Because a new heart can drive out a covetous heart. Thank the Lord for that new heart. Our guilt is taken away. Our sin has been cast away. We're to be thankful and content for what Christ has done. Contentment, godliness and contentment is a great gain. He is our portion. He is with us always. Let's pray.